You know, a few years ago, um, a few years ago, I took my family on a trip to the Grand Canyon. Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? If you haven't been to the Grand Canyon, can I encourage you to go? It's incredible. It's one of the most spectacular places in all the world. I know we all know that it's a it's a, one of the seven wonders of the world, but if you've never been before, trust me, it's worth the view. The pictures and videos you may see on TV just don't do it justice. So it was spring break. We checked out the weather. It was supposed to be highs in the mid-70s and lows in the mid-50s. Sounds, like sounds like good weather to me. So we packed our jeans and a couple of sweatshirts and took the kids and loaded them up, flew to Phoenix, drove up through Scottsdale and Sedona, by the way, another beautiful place to see. Made it to Flagstaff. Right as it was getting dark, we checked into our hotel for the night. After we finally got the guys settled down, we got a good night's sleep, and we awoke to a snow-covered landscape and freezing temperatures. It was not at all what we had planned. It wasn't what they told us it was going to be, and it wasn't what we expected. And I have four sons, so needless to say, after a rather rambunctious snowball fight, we finally got the guys in the car because we had plans to watch the sun rise in the Grand Canyon. And I wasn't going to miss it. All right, anybody travel like that? I'm one of those guys. Like, I make plans. We're going to do it. I don't care what the weather is. So we made our way through the park gates up to the top of the hill. We got out of the car and we walked to the edge of the canyon right on the south rim. And it was everything I'd hoped it would be. And we were freezing. Just absolutely freezing. But we had plans. We were going to hike the south rim. It's about a two and a half mile hike to the visitor center. There's nothing between you and there except the canyon. But we were going to do it. So here we go. Off we go. And guys, I'm going to tell you, every turn, every corner that we went around, every time we got to a new spot, the views were even more majestic than I thought they would be. It was amazing. And as the sun got higher, the colors changed. So as we started the morning, everything was blue and green. And, and a little bit further on, it was yellow and orange and then red. It was amazing. And we were freezing. And so we finally got to the visitor center. And there's something about a visitor center that, you know, I want some water. I might need to go to the bathroom, whatever that might be. But we just wanted to get inside, out of the wind and out of the cold. And we opened that door to one of the most beautiful sights when you're cold. There was a fireplace in there about the size of a minivan. <laughs> and we, boy, we snuck up in front of that thing and just, oh. It was so nice. We got a cup of hot chocolate. And as our toes and our ears and our fingers and our noses thawed, the back of my mind kept thinking, we've got to make that hike back. <laughs> well, well, we finally got up the nerve. I finally talked my wife into it. She was trying to get an Uber. You know, she... Um, we finally, we finally got the nerve up to do it. 
So we broke out the door. The wind was blowing harder, but we were going to make it. We're going to get back. And we walked back to the path, right back to the edge. And right as we got to the edge of the canyon, the biggest golden bald eagle I've ever seen came up from under the canyon right and I mean guys I promise you it was as close as me to this table I could have reached out and touched his nose his beak I'm sorry for those of you who are... he was that close his wings were spread and all six of us just stood there and we watched this majestic creature just soar in front of us his wings never flapped. He never strived. He just ascended slowly right in front of us until he disappeared into a cloud. Well, as John said, my name is Joe Carson. I, uh, I do have the privilege of working at the Life Church. It is an honor to be here tonight. I want to thank John and John. John Christensen, oh, there you are back there. Thank you guys for the invitation. It is truly an honor for those who may be elders here tonight. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I do take this as a privilege. Um, I, I no way want to um, minimize what this opportunity is. So thank you for that. I want to tell you a little bit of my story. And the only reason I want to tell you my story is because John asked me if I'd be willing to share my story. He shared a little bit of it. I was a dentist for several years, almost 25 years I practiced. And to tell you the truth, my life was about as good as it gets. I wish I could tell you I had this incredible story of how I was strung out on drugs and the whole world had forgotten me and I found Jesus and I came to Jesus and my whole world got better. I don't have one of those stories. But I do have a death to life story. Maybe you do too. Do you remember those days when you really were walking a, a walking dead man? I remember those days. I, I, I have a story of, 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 of being a Pharisee and going to freedom. I, I, I know that story. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up, man, I had boxing gloves on when, when it came to denominational theology. And I'm not even going to tell you what denomination I grew up in because I don't want to make anybody upset and mad at me. But I've got that story. I was born in Selma, Alabama. And now I would consider myself an ally to those of color, my friends. and But I've got that story because I had family on the Pettus Bridge on Bloody Sunday and they were not marching. So I've got that story. I've got a story from being broken to becoming an encourager. I've got that story. Maybe you do too. But I'm going to tell you my story from dentistry to ministry. Somebody told me I ought to write a book with that title. <laughs> I think it's kind of corny, but anyway, I don't know. But, but that's kind of my story. Let me give you a little bit of a background of it. My, I met my wife when I was in college. We went to a Christian school over in Arkansas. I played football there, and she was just one of those cute little, little girls that I met at the cafeteria. Remember those days when we used to go to the cafeteria in college? I know maybe some of you guys don't have a clue what that is. But um, 
But we've been married for 39 years now, um, and we've had a great life. I've got four sons. Uh, they, I lived in Collierville for 25 years, almost 25 years. Uh, they grew up there. I worked four days a week for a long time. Um, I'm in ministry now. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, I know y'all think we just pray all during the week and show up on Sundays, but I promise you it's not, it's not like that. Um, we had country club membership. We vacationed all over the world. Um, you know, I coached Little League and supported the local theater and had opportunities to lead in church as a worship leader, a deacon, and even an elder. It's not like we, we, we had a bad life. We had a great life. As a matter of fact, I would probably consider it what many of you might consider it, the American Christian dream. It was about as good as we get. We had new cars. We went to a nice church. But I was hollow. You see, everybody that I hung around with looked like me. They did the same things I did. We went to the same places. We went to the vacation in the same spots. Everybody, go, everybody from Memphis goes to the panhandle, don't we? Um, my kids did, uh, did Christian sports camp up in Missouri. Some of you guys may be familiar with Canacuck. We were a Canacuck family, did that for 17 years. All four of my sons actually worked for the camp after they were too old to go to camp. Everything was what you would think of, but I was hollow. You see, achievement can mask a lot of wounds. Success hides a lot of issues. All in all, I had a pure vision. But it was parading itself as perfection. But it was shallow and limited and small. Now, I know at least one dentist who's retired, who's sitting in this audience tonight. And uh, I, I, so I, I, I want to make this very, very clear. You can be a good Christian man as a dentist, and I feel like I was. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing that in any way at all, but I had something on the inside of me that I was not fulfilling because I was doing something that I was supposed to do rather than what I was called to do. So a few years a few years ago, I had a friend named Mike, and Mike's dad passed away. When his dad died, uh, we, my wife and I went over to their home. After the funeral, we, we kind of hosted family and close friends for, for just for the family and friends to come and share their memories and their condolences with the family. And, and after everybody had left, it was just the four of us, my wife and I and Mike and his wife. And, and we cleaned up and we gathered all the food. And as you can imagine, there was a lot of food left. And Mike and I settled into the den, as men are prone to do, and turned the TV on, and there was a Memphis game on. Well, it was exactly what we needed. You know, guys, we could have hashed out a lot of things, and Mike was my prayer partner, so we, we met once a week. And, and we could have, I could have asked him how he was doing, and, but uh, it was just one of those moments where we just needed to zone out and watch a Memphis game. 
Well, a few minutes later, the girls came in and said, hey, we've got all this food. I think we're going to take it downtown and see if there's anybody that, that's out on the street tonight. Maybe we can feed them. And, you know, being the good Christian man that I am, I said, I think that's a great idea. You guys should go do that. <laughs> and about that time, Mike and I kicked the recliners back. And we, left our, we let our wives go downtown on the streets of Memphis <laughs> at 10 o'clock at night, and we were okay with that. Sorry, baby. I love you. Um, but they came back with an incredible story about a man named Melvin that they had met. They, Melvin was a guy on the street that nobody called him Melvin. His, his street name was Feet. The reason they called him Feet is because he always wore shoes that were too small. They were always wet. He always had sores and don't, didn't smell very good. And none of the guys wanted to sit next to him or sleep next to him in the mission. And over the next few months, we got to know Melvin quite well. He spent a lot of those weekends at our home. As a matter of fact, he was at our home one night when one of my sons came home from college. He got home about, he was at Lee University over in the Chattanooga area, and he got home about 1 a.m., and we forgot to tell him that Melvin was there. <laughs> he walked in his bedroom, turned on the light, and Melvin sat straight up, and I think they both got scared to death. <laughs> A few months later, we didn't see Melvin again. To be honest, I don't know whatever happened to Melvin. But I know he changed my life. Because he touched something on the inside of me I didn't know was there. So a few months later, our church was going through a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. We have those twice a year, and this one was in August, and really, in August, we just pray. Uh, it's, we, we're not spiritual enough to fast twice a year, just once. But my wife and I decided we were going to really fast, because we knew God was stirring something on the inside of us. Now, I need to, I need to remind you guys, again, I, I led worship in my church. I had been a deacon and an elder. I had, I had gone on medical mission trips around the world. I had helped people. I did ministry in my own office. I would pray with families. I would go to the hospital with them. This wasn't a matter of whether or not I was doing a Christian thing or a spiritual thing. It was a matter of whether or not I was doing what God built me to do. So we did, this, we did this season of fasting, and I asked my wife, don't tell me what, you, don't tell me what you're learning, what you're hearing from God. I won't tell you because I don't want to influence you. I don't want you to influence me. At the, end of that, at the end of that 21 days, I heard one word that kept coming back over and over, and it was not a word that's in my vocabulary, maybe not in your vocabulary. It's a word that you might know, but you probably don't hear it very often. I heard the word unencumbered over and over and over. I went back through some of the books that I had been reading, and I thought, maybe I ran across that word. Maybe it's just, and I hadn't, and I knew it was God. And I knew God was trying to tell me something. I didn't know what he was trying to tell me. So I asked my wife, what did you hear? 
She said, I heard something very, very clear. She said, she said, God told me you're standing on the edge of a cliff. It's time to jump. No safety net. And so we began to pray, God, what are you trying to tell us? What are you trying to tell us? During that season, we were leading a small group at our church, and we were going through a book. How many of you guys are leadership guys? Like, I'm a Maxwell guy. I'm a Zig Ziglar fan. Like, I mean, like, one of my favorites is a guy named Ken Blanchard, and he co-authored a book several years ago called Lead Like Jesus. And I read this book, and then there's a companion workbook that goes with it. And so we were doing a small group on Lead Like Jesus. In that book, I was challenged to do two things. One is to create a personal mission statement. Anybody here got a personal mission statement? Exactly. I didn't either. Okay, we got, we got a couple. Um, I had a business mission statement. We even had a family mission statement. It was framed by our front door so our sons, as they were growing up, would walk by it every day. I wanted to make sure they knew who they were and why they were existing and why they carried the name that they carried. But I didn't have one for me. It was a challenge. The next thing I was challenged with is, is we were given an exercise. Write your ideal, optimal obituary. Write out your obituary. If when you die, people said exactly what you want them to say about you, what would it say? And then on Friday... In the workbook, at the bottom of the page, it said, now what do you have to change in your life to make that come true? Boy, y'all, God was working on me. He was working on me. The only thing I knew is that I wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do. Whatever it was. I didn't care. God, I'll go to Africa. I don't want to go to Africa, but I'll go to Africa if that's what you want me to do. I'll go to Central America. I'll, I even talked to a hospital up in, on the south side of Chicago. They were wanting to open an indigent care dental clinic in the hospital. I was willing to do that. I'll go wherever you want me to go, God. The only thing I will not do is work for a church. Not going to work for a church. I'd been in the politics of church. I'd seen it. I don't want to work for a church. I was self-employed for a reason. You go to work for a church, you work for everybody at the church. Some people on staff here are going, uh-huh. That was 14 years ago. And I could tell you the story of how my pastors met with me and how they had been praying for 18 months that God would raise up a couple in our church with a heart for the hurting and that we had only been there for a few months, and somehow or another, they took a chance on us. Um, but that's a whole other story for another time. What I want to tell you about, though, is that God did something new. He gave me a new purpose, a new vision. I got to write a new mission statement. I got to start life over. How many people... We'd kill for a shot at that. I got to start over. So my mission statement now is to listen and observe. Encourage and empower those within my sphere of influence to reach for everything that God created them for. 
I got a new life verse. Anybody got a life verse? I had ones when I was 16. I thought this one's going to be my verse for the rest of my life. But no, God gave me a new one. I was flipping through Philippians that year, and I came across chapter 1, verse 25, and it said, it said, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, God, this past year, gave me a release. It was a sweet feeling. Because last year, he said, okay, you've done everything I wanted you to do. I got scared a little bit. <laughs> I wasn't sure I'd be here tonight. But he said, now, I want you to make sure that the people in your world do everything that they were created to do. It's a joy. It's truly a joy. I have new opportunities. I meet people in crisis in our church. I meet people in crisis in our community. I meet people in crisis around the world. I was in Turkey after the earthquake. I was in Ukraine after the war began. I watched little boys and girls cross the border without mom and dad with nowhere to go and no idea. I watched human traffickers load them up in trucks and drive them away. Y'all, it's a crazy, horrible, mean, cruel world. But we have Jesus. And they need Jesus. My world right now is huge. My opportunities are many. My, my eternity is secure. My goal, well, it remains the same. I want my wife and my kids to know that I had something that they admired, not because they want to give me glory, but because I want them to know that Jesus can be all you need him to be. I don't know who you are in here. I don't know where you are in here. I'll be real honest with you. Some of you guys have been in church all your life. And you're like me. You've been doing all the right stuff. You've been kind of kind of going along. Some of you might have been in that Pharisee category. Some of you might have been in that recovering category. Some of you might have been in that racist category. I don't know where you are or where you are going to be any time in the future. But I know that God built you for something. He put a purpose in your heart, and if you believe that, I believe he'll show it to you. Let me finish my story. So after we stood there for several minutes, waiting to see if the eagle would return, we saw him break through on the other side of the cloud and soar to where we almost lost him in the sun. You see, he had a new perspective. What he saw when he was right in front of me wasn't very big compared to what he saw when he summited the clouds. His perspective had shifted and changed. But you know what else? He had been through some stuff on the way. You know, when you go through clouds... I don't know a whole lot about weather, but I got a little science background. I know a little bit. I know that the, the wind shifts. 
The air currents are different. The temperature changes. The moisture precipitation is different. And it's real easy to get thrown off course. Have you ever been in an airplane going through the clouds? Been bounced around a little bit? It's not the same as when it's sunny out. He had been through something. And now he had a new perspective. So where are you? Where are you? Are you below the clouds soaring along in the areas where you know really well? Everything's safe and visible, reachable, comfortable. Nothing wrong with that if it's what God built you to do. But is there a hunger deep inside maybe for something more? Maybe you've gotten too comfortable, too secure. If God were to ask you today to do something different, would you do it? Would you throw away your whole career and start over? My accountant told me I was an idiot. My dad about disowned me. And my prayer partner, well, I can't use the language he used, but he said, what are you thinking? To, To paraphrase. I didn't know. All I knew was the right thing because God had something for me. And I knew I had to follow. So are you in the safe place? But need to go? How about, how about some of you might be in the cloud right now? <laughs> if you're in the cloud, it's kind of messy. It's a little insecure because you're getting bumped around a little bit. You don't know what to do and you can't see in front of you. You can't see below you. You can't see above you. How you doing? Do you know who's holding your hand in the process? Do you have a friend next to you that can bolster you while you're going through your journey? Where are you? What about you that might have finished your cloud? You might be soaring above it all right now. Some of us have been around the, around the block a couple of times. I had my, uh, well, let's just say I had a milestone birthday this past week. I'm a little older. Let's just say the AARP card I've had for a little while. It's gotten a little worn in my pocket. I'm reminded that I'm now responsible for developing the people that are following If you've broken through the cloud, you know what the perspective is now. You see things that used to be really big right in front of you, and now you realize those really aren't that big. They're really not that big anymore. They're really not important. They scared you to death when you were below the cloud. But now you know that's just a bump in the road. Let me ask you, who are you bringing with you? Have you turned around to bolster the guy in the middle of the cloud? 
Have you gone back down to find the guy who's kind of soaring real comfortably, but you know there's more for him than that? I think it's real easy for us to trust God when everything is visible. When we can see it right in front of us and we can control it. You know, that eagle at any time could have flapped his wings and gone wherever he wanted to go, but he rode the wind currents because he knew where they were taking him. I just don't want you guys to end up somewhere down the road wishing that you had listened when God was tugging and saying, I've got so much more for you. Let's pray. Father God, you know every man's heart. You know every man's background. You know every man's story in here. God, you know how unqualified I am and how grateful I am to even be standing here today. God, stir our hearts, but more than that, give us ears to hear and eyes to see you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.